just like to say once again, we are so thankful to be together tonight, to have this opportunity to worship, to sing, um, and to gather together uh, to be able to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. As uh, Tyler has mentioned, if you're visiting with us, a warm welcome, those online. Uh, we want to express our thankfulness to you for joining us and know that even though you may not be here, you are not forgotten and we continue to remember and we continue to pray for you. We're going to spend some time in God's Word, and then uh, we will um, close with some singing. But before we look at God's Word, uh, as you know, uh, tonight we've had to do some things differently. Uh, one of them is we would have candles at the end, uh, but we're not going to hand out candles. Uh, but Lord willing, uh, by His grace, next year we can do that. Uh, we also are not going to physically take up an offering, but there is an offering box at the back of uh, the church on your way out. And if you have come to give, we, have, uh, we are um, giving towards the Dawn Center, which is the Cambridge Pregnancy Center. Uh, and you can look up their website, dawncenter.ca. Uh, and some of the services that they offer, which are free and confidential, are pregnancy um, op or pregnancy option supports, uh, testing and treatment. They also do prenatal and parenting support, community education, uh, material support, and also post-abortion support. So uh, we are thankful for the work that the Dawn Center does, and uh, we trust that they will be supplied for in these difficult times, and as they do an important work in our community um, that not only would uh, those who are going through a difficult time be cared for, but the gospel may also be spread. So on behalf of the Dawn Center, we thank you for uh, your generosity tonight. Before we look at God's word in Isaiah chapter 9, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray together and celebrate the birth of our Savior. Father God, it is amazing to consider that we are talking of Jesus. Jesus, the child born of the Virgin Mary. We have read in Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus was born in his humanness, but he was given by God in his godness. We thank you that he existed beforehand, that God became man, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that he grew as a child, that he began his ministry as John the Baptist went before him, telling people to confess their sins and repent and turn in faith to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come in the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would perform miracles. Jesus would live a perfectly righteous life. Jesus would be the, the glory of God incarnate. We would see God of very God. We would see perfection. We would see holiness. We would see purity. We would see joy, we would see mercy, we would see grace. But we would also see the perfect sacrifice who would go on our behalf, go on behalf of sinners, be our substitute. And he would suffer the wrath of God. He would die on our behalf so that we might live as he was raised on the third day, ascended where he now reigns and rules at the right hand of God, one day to return. And all those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will enjoy him forever. God, what a message. What a message of joy. What a message of good favor. And for those, as we have talked about, who are struggling with sin, struggling with darkness, struggling with gloom, 
We pray that you would come and visit them tonight and that they might know this is the forever Savior, the forever King. And they would come in repentance of sin, bow their knee before the great King, Savior, Lord, Master, and that they would know the peace that is beyond imagination. For believers, we pray that you would strengthen them in these times. Lord, it has been a difficult year, and it continues to be a difficult time, and we're going into a difficult period. But Lord, we are not without hope, and we are not without praise in our lips because you reign and you rule, and you will keep us, and you will do in abundance what we could not imagine because you are our Savior. And so as we gather before your word for a few moments this evening, we pray that we would be drawn into the majesty and the glory of your firstborn son, the one born in Bethlehem. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You noticed on the way in that we saw snowflakes. Uh, we're going to show a few slides of, or two slides of what snowflakes look like under the microscope. Um, and I even did some research for you, so you wouldn't have to uh, go and look online for this. And, oh, can we show the other one? Yeah, there we go. That's what we think of when we think of a snowflake, right? Um, now, again, this is internet research, so I'm assuming it's true. Um, I can honestly say it wasn't Wikipedia, so maybe we're closer to the truth. Um, and these were from uh, scientists. But, and, and I read two articles. Uh, the first one was called The Enduring Mystery of Snowflakes. So when you put a snowflake under a microscope, this is uh, what we see. And the question was asked of the scientist, what is so strange about snowflakes? And this is what the scientist said. This is one of the strange things about snowflakes. If you grow ice crystals or snowflakes just below freezing, then you get thin plate-like crystals. These include the star-like crystals that you see up there. But listen to this. But if you go a little colder, around 5 degrees Celsius before freezing, you get, uh, you get snow that's thin columns. So that's the previous one that we saw that we'll see. Perfect. So that's a snowflake, but that happens between five, minus 5 and minus 15 Interestingly, if you go between minus 15 and minus 30, you go back to, the, to what we imagine a snowflake looks like, which is, yeah, we're a team now, Adam. This is great. But if you go from minus, if you're colder than minus 30, it goes back to a column. Who knew that? Isn't that amazing? So not only is... That amazing and the typical snowflake that we think of amazing when you put it under the, um, the microscope and you think that's, uh, there, there's something great that's taking place. And then we know that no snowflake is um, exactly alike. The second article that I read was what's wrong with snowflakes. So if we can keep that snowflake up there. And this article was written in sort of a fun sort of way. But boys and girls, you know that when you uh, fold paper and you cut it and out comes the snowflake, um, there's actually someone who can be a little irritated by your snowflakes if they're not six points. So this is what the article said. Uh, the, reason, the reason why, so if you, if you make a snowflake that has eight sides, you'll never see a snowflake with eight sides. 
If you see a snowflake with 10 sides, that's what's wrong with the snowflake. You only have snowflakes that are six sides. Now, you might get three sides or you might get 12 sides, but you won't get an eight-sided snowflake. The reason is because, and this is just, you know, this is just, um, I don't, you know, it's not that we'll understand this, but it's just to show you that um, somebody with knowledge understands this. The reason is because the molecule building blocks are water molecules. So there is only a certain way they can fit together, and what comes out is that they are always in a six-cornered shape, even at the tiniest molecular scale. Actually, water molecules occasionally form ice crystals with three or 12 sides, either half or double the usual number, but never five or eight. So no snowflake is alike, and you can only work with six-sided snowflakes. So when you go and put a snowflake under the microscope, you think, that's amazing. And my mind is led to, what a great God that we serve. He does great things, even if we just look at a most basic snowflake. Now, if we bring this to our passage in Isaiah chapter 9, sometimes when we put God, or sometimes when we put God's activities under the microscope, we're not always so amazed. In fact, sometimes we are just really confused. We know that we worship a great God, but sometimes we don't understand the greatness of God. And that's what happens when we actually come to the passage in Isaiah chapter 9. There was a lot of confusion about God, and there was a lot of confusion about what God was doing. What happens if we come to this Christmas and we read a great passage like Isaiah 9, verse 6, that says, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And yet, when we put that under the microscope, it's hard to see the promises of God. It's hard to see the Christmas promises and know the impact of the birth of Christ in our life. I'll give you an example. Just before Isaiah chapter 9, you have Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 through 22. I'll read that for you. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness." That was putting God and putting life under uh, the microscope, and they were saying, we don't see the greatness of God at this point. If we were to summarize what was taking place at that time, we would say that the people were distressed, hungry, and famished. We would say that they were politically exasperated, and they were spiritually broken. And then we would say from verse 22 that they were without hope from God, they were without hope from others, and they were without hope for the future. It's been a difficult time. It continues to be a difficult time. And if there is something that we can say at the end of this year, we could probably understand, at least in part, what's going on in Isaiah chapter 8. A people distressed. A people who are politically exasperated and spiritually broken. A people without hope from God without other hope from others, and with no hope for the future. 
When we come to Isaiah chapter 9, we're not coming from a good place. We're actually coming from a place that asks this question, what happens when we come to Christmas and it's hard to see Christmas promises? In fact, the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9 talks about gloom. They are nevertheless the gloom of a distressed land. That's the beginning of their Christmas. It's gloom. It's dark. It's a distressed land. In the book of Isaiah, there are three types of darkness that are talked about. The first type of darkness is a darkness inside, a darkness within. Our sinful responses. We know this is true, right? We know when we go through difficult times, we've had a difficult year. It's not just what's happening out there. It's what's happening in my heart. It's times when I become angry. It's times when I say things I shouldn't, think things I shouldn't. It's when I attack people in certain ways, in, um, at certain levels, and we, we, become, uh, we become frustrated with guilt and with shame in our heart. There's this darkness that we wrestle with inside. But Isaiah also speaks of a darkness that's around us. We look around us and we see the sinfulness around us. We see the rebellion against God, the profound impact of COVID. We see a broken world. We see a world that's filled with disease. We see those who have suffered and lost loved ones. But we also know that beyond COVID, there are injustices, there's racism, there's sickness, there's general unrest, there's suffering as we watch loved ones struggle spiritually, struggle emotionally, struggle with mental health. We know that there are those who are lonely, those who are hurting. There are places where there used to be unity and fellowship, and now we experience division and pain. We look outside, and we see darkness around us. We see darkness within. We see darkness around. But then Isaiah also talks about seeing darkness ahead of us. If you were to read Isaiah chapter 8, you would see their sinful brokenness before God, and they have little hope for the future, and they have even less hope for when they meet God on that final day. That's why Isaiah 9 begins with a very honest conversation and says, we live in times of gloom and we live in times of distress and we can understand that. So that leads to the question, what is the answer to gloom? What is the answer to the darkness? And we'll just take a look at just a few moments at the answer to darkness. And that is verse 6. For to us a child is born, or in Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given. In his humanity he was born, he was uh, God from eternity, so he is also given. He is the born, given son. And we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that this is where we find the answer to gloom. First of all, this child gifts life, or this child gifts light. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Our culture is begging for light. The Bible offers the picture of light. In fact, it goes on to say the light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. Whatever this light is, this child brings, it brings joy. And when you read in Scripture, light language equals hope, peace, joy, clarity, honesty, confidence, strength, rest, and life. I'll give you an example of what light is from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, John, sorry, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 
John chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus is God. He always has been, he is, he always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the creator of all things. But in verse 4, we also read this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. What happens when you're in darkness and you see light? You begin to see things and you begin to change. You have life. We were walking in darkness. We were walking in gloom. We were walking in rebellion. We were walking in our sin. And the light came. And we began to see our rebellion and sin. And the light came to us and said, here's life. In repentance of sin and in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have life. How do I receive this life? Interestingly, John goes on a little later in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 16 and 17, and we read this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. The Word become flesh dwelling among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. You may say to yourself, well, if you knew my story and if you knew what I was all about, you wouldn't be offering me life. I've gone too far. I'm too much in the darkness. You don't know my past. You don't know the guilt that I carry. You don't know the shame. You don't know the way that I think God looks at me. Not only does Jesus come to offer life, but he says, grace upon grace. Grace is a free gift. He comes to you. He knows your story. And he says, I know your story. I know your thoughts. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know where you could even go. But when you come to me from your darkness into light, which will bring you life and peace and joy and rest and strength and mercy, when you come to me and find life, you will find grace upon grace upon grace. As a province, we're traveling into a lockdown. That's difficult. But what will the believer find? Grace. And they'll wake up the next day upon grace. And they'll wake up the next day upon grace. And one thing is true about God's grace is it is overflowing. It is always in abundance. Parents know this. If only we could give more to our children. More love, more mercy, more truth, more wisdom. God never faces our limitations. God gives us exactly what we need at the exact time, and it is grace upon grace. If God or if this child comes and he gives the gift of light, he also gives the gift that draws near. It is one thing for God to be a powerful God who comes and draws near to save. But it is also another thing for God to draw near. And we know that when we travel through this life and we go through difficult times, Jesus 
by his spirit and his indwelling is with us. And we read this in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This son who is born is described in four ways. He is your wonderful counselor. Wonderful is a funny word because we think wonderful. We think that's wonderful. But wonderful is even more wonderful than you can think wonderful being. Wonderful, when used, it's used 54 times of the acts of God in the Old Testament, and it means God's supernatural works. It means that this, when the word wonderful is used, that it is for whatever reason, it requires God as its explanation. I'll give you an example in uh, Psalm 18, verse 23, or I think it's uh, 118, verse 23. This came from the Lord. It's wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's going through life and knowing that we have a counselor and we have that Psalm 118 moment where it's, we say, this came from the Lord. His counsel, his direction, his hope, his mercy, his strength. This did not come from me. God's work in me is so wondrous. God's work in me is so amazing. God's counsel for me is so striking. This, we look back and say, that's the work of God. That's the work of God. This past year, you come here. What happened this past? All sorts of things. What brought you here? That's the work of God. And so we come to Jesus, and it begins with, he is our wonderful counselor. But he is not only our wonderful counselor, he is our hero. He is our mighty God. He, is, he draws near, but he is not a weak counselor. He is not a weak God. He is a mighty God. He is ruler over all. He is giving might and strength and hope and life. He is above all, beyond all. Our thoughts seek to understand his greatness, but at the end we can say, simply say, God, at the end of all this and our hope in the year to come is that you are mighty and you are God wonderful counselor, mighty God, and then this eternal Father. He is an eternal Father. Father. The prodigal son gone off to live a a crazy life, a sin-filled life, a selfish life. And he ends up in a pig pen. He says, the servants in my father's house have it way better than I do. I'm going to go back to my house and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And he starts to give forgiveness, and what do we read? The father says, we have a banquet ready. You're welcome. Come back. You're welcome. You have an eternal, perfect, mighty God, wonderful counselor, father, who is the prince of peace. Peace is not just rest in a tiring, exhausting life, but peace is wholeness. God is taking your brokenness and he is healing it. God is taking your insides and all the turmoil and he is bringing wholeness. God is bringing rest. So that is the child that draws near. What answers gloom? It is Jesus. It is the child. It is the one who is born to bring light. The one who is born to bring life. The one who is born to draw near so that he would be our wonderful counselor. He will be our mighty God. He is our eternal Father. And He is our Prince of Peace. I want to close with a word of hope. The child Jesus is born. 
That makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. If you have come here and you say, I don't know if I can say that Jesus is my Savior. I don't know if I can say I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and I've put my faith in him. And I don't even know if I would be loved by Jesus. Can we say to you tonight, the child that was born to give life is the one who offers life to you. That when you repent of your sins and say, God, this is me in all my honesty and in all my sin and rebellion, and I bring it before you, you will find forgiveness in Jesus, and he will save you. And you come before God, and you see the work on the cross, and you say, Jesus, forgive me, and you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And then he is your wonderful counselor. He is your mighty God. He is your prince of peace. He is your everlasting father. And for believers this evening, as we gather and celebrate the birth of our Savior, our hope is that when what happens when we come to Christmas and we struggle with the promises of Christmas, we just go back to the birth of Christ and see that he is the light that brings us hope. He is the faithful promise of God. We have said in a recent video sent out to our congregation that the gospel of Jesus is and never will be in lockdown. We have said that the expressions of love coming out of the gospel and the acts of kindness are not in lockdown and never will be. Jesus is with us to the end and his gospel advances through all sorts of challenges. And as we travel through this time and travel through this coming year, our hope and our confidence is there is light for our lives. There is light and hope for those around us. And there is light and hope for a future. We celebrate Jesus tonight. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks that there is hope in these days. We looked at snowflakes and we saw the greatness of God under the microscope. And when we look at life under the microscope, we don't always see your greatness, but we know that you are a great God. And that story is told in Isaiah 9. We give you thanks, Father, that you have come to give life and light. And that life and light is now and it is everlasting. So for those who do not know you, we pray that they would know that they are welcome. And for those who do know you, strengthen them in the days ahead. We pray this because of your greatness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.